Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. We're going to be in, uh, in uh, James chapter 1, and as I was saying, we're going to do something a little bit different, because today is City Hope Sunday. Now, most of you probably have no idea what that even means. Don't worry, we'll get to that. You won't be clueless the entire morning. We'll, uh, we'll get you clued in on what that means here in just a moment. But because it's City Hope Sunday, we're actually going to be jumping ahead in the book of James to the end of chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. But not to worry, next week we'll go right back to where we left off and we'll pick things up um, next week. Before we jump into verse number 26, 26, it's going to be helpful for us to have a little bit of context behind these verses. In the preceding verses, James succinctly outlines the life of a follower of Jesus. In verse number 21, if you look at it, James says, we receive with meekness the implanted word. We receive the gospel, or as we say in our Christian vernacular, we accepted Jesus as our Savior. We put our faith in Christ. That is, the, that is where our journey as a follower of Jesus begins. That's where it commences. But then in verse 22, James admonishes us to do the gospel. We don't just receive it but we begin to live it out in our daily lives. And this is where we get the series title, Gospel on the Ground. It's practical gospel living for our everyday life. And where we pick up in verse number 26, James begins to outline for us what the result is when you receive the gospel and begin to do the gospel, your life is transformed and begins to look like this, verse number 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Now, this is where we listen up, right? Because God is telling us exactly what type of religion he approves of, what he accepts. Religion is all about God anyways, right? The religions of this world, it's all about, like Amy said, trying to decipher and like earn our way into relationship with God, but that's not what pure religion is. What is pure religion? Look in verse 27. It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I want to give you the big idea that I believe sits over top of this passage of Scripture and if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write it down. When the gospel gets traction, I experience transformation. When the gospel gets traction, I experience transformation. Now, I remember when I was uh, like 13 or 14 years old, I was in need of some major transformation. I was scrawny, trying to make it on the, the football team We've had a flag football team at our small Christian school, and I, I really wanted to beef up because I wanted to be bigger on the field, but I also wanted to impress the ladies, let's be honest, okay? I, but I had, I mean, just these little scrawny arms, and I, I was in need of transformation. One day I was walking through the store, and I walked by one of those as-seen-on-TV products, the perfect push-up. 
I'm like trying to gauge your react- reaction to see if anybody knows what the perfect push-up is, okay? It is a device that is supposed to help facilitate the perfect push-up, okay? Now, what grabbed my attention on this box, this, this, uh, this package on the shelf, was two things. Number one, they always put, like, the buffest dude, you know, on the box. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the, he's, like, he has muscles in places I didn't even know you could have muscles. Like, his muscles have muscles. Like, and I'm like, that. I need to be transformed into that. Like, I, I need that. The second thing that stood out to me, though, were the words, results guaranteed. Results guaranteed. Like, that's a big statement, right? For someone to believe, for a company to believe in their product so much that they're willing to guarantee their results, that can only mean one thing. They really believe that their product works. They really believe that if you use their product, there is one result. In this case, it was a transformed body. I get to look like that guy. Now, all of us have different areas of our life where maybe we're hoping to see transformation. Some of us are hoping to see transformation in our body, like I was as a 13 or 14-year-old. Some of us are hoping to see transformation in our hair. Some of us are hoping to see transformation in maybe our finances or in our relationships. I don't know where you're looking for transformation, but one thing is certain. We all need transformation in our heart. And that's just not something that the perfect push-up can help us with. But James here, what we're going to see really all throughout his letter, is that James had a firm belief that when we encounter the gospel, when the gospel gets traction in our lives, James guarantees the result all throughout his letter. That when the gospel gets traction in our lives, the end result is always a transformed life. Every single time. Without fail, James is so convinced of the power of the gospel that he guarantees that for those who encounter it, their life will be transformed. Now, that transformed life, that language, that's not language that James uses. James uses the language here in verses 26 and 27 not transformed life, but pure religion. Now, religion is a bit of a trigger word for us as Christians, isn't it? It's taboo. I, I think I like saw a bunch of you like cringe as soon as I said religion. You're like, ooh, maybe we should like skip these verses. He says religion. Like, it's because, and we like to say those statements like, you know, Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship. Yeah, Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship. And that's true. That's a great statement. It's accurate 100%. The reason we say that is because when we think of religion, what we think about is all of the the things that we have to do, all of the, the practices, the rituals, the traditions, the behavior modification that has to take place in order to earn myself a relationship with God. But that's not what James is talking about. Pure religion is what my life looks like because of my relationship with God. 
It's not the things that I do or change in order to earn a relationship, right? Pure religion is actually the opposite. It's because I've encountered the gospel and come into a relationship with God, the external overflow of the gospel at work in me is what James calls pure religion. When the gospel gets traction, the result is guaranteed. We experience transformation. You cannot encounter the gospel and leave the way that you came. So this morning we're going to look at three evidences of the gospel at work in you or three transformations that take place in the life of every believer. So if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. When my life is transformed, number one, my words reflect a changed heart. My words reflect a changed heart. Look in verse number 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, we were warned a couple of weeks ago that Pastor James doesn't beat around the bush. He says it plainly. And here he's getting to a point because there is a concern that he has for his church family. The church that he's pastoring, what he's beginning to see is he's beginning to see these people who are self-proclaimed religious people. They look really good on the outside. Like if you were to look at their religion resume, like they have it padded. Oh yes, I uh, go to church. I keep the Sabbath. I give my money to the poor. I pray. I even memorize scripture. Like they have got it all together. But there's one thing missing from their religion resume that James noticed. They don't have a controlled tongue. Now, you and I, if we were grading these self-proclaimed religious people, we'd take a look at the results. We'd be like, okay, good, you go to church, that's great. Okay, awesome, you, you give, oh, good, okay, you, you attend a life group, wow, really good job. Okay, oh, you serve on a team, wow, like, that's, that's awesome, good job. Oh, you have a potty mouth, mm, minus five. Great job, 95, passing grade, boom, you're good. Let's be honest, that's probably how we'd grade it. Because words to us seem so insignificant. They don't seem like that big of a deal, but not James. He makes two very pointed statements to this group of self-proclaimed religious people who had no control over their tongue. The first statement he makes is this. That if you think you're religious but you can't control your tongue, you're deceiving your heart. You're fooling yourself. See, your religiosity, your actions, your behaviors, your, your traditions, your churchiness is telling your heart that you're close to God, but your words tell a different story. See, our mouths are the whistleblowers of our hearts. James is ultimately echoing the teaching of his half-brother Jesus who in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's on the inside comes out on the outside. Every time. There is a direct connection between the condition of your heart and the words 
of your mouth. So then the question for us is this. Follower of Jesus, do your lips tell the story of a redeemed life? Do your lips tell the story of a redeemed life? The second statement James makes, if you look at verse 26, he says, if you think you're religious but can't control your tongue but deceive yourself, your religion is halfway decent. No. Worthless. Wow. Like useless, vain, empty, amounts to nothing. It's nothing of substance. Now, this might seem to us like a bit of an overstatement. How can something as small as my words negate all of the things that I'm trying to do for God? I mean, doesn't God appreciate all of the ways that I'm trying to express my worship to him? Doesn't God appreciate my religiosity? But you see, that's where you're missing the point. God doesn't want Merely your church attendance and your money and your attendance to life group and your traditions and your religiosity and all the things that you could do on the outside to make yourself look like you're closer to God. God doesn't just want all of those things. God wants your heart. And the reality is, if he doesn't have your tongue, then he certainly doesn't have your heart. Now, the problem for these self-proclaimed religious people is that all of the transformation that had taken place in their life was purely external. They looked really good on the outside, and they thought they were closer to God because of it. Now, I want you to imagine with me, if you will, you get in your car after church today, you begin driving down, down the road, you're headed towards home or to your restaurant of choice, and on your way, your check engine light turns on. Now, I hope this is just a hypothetical for everybody. Check engine light turns on, and you're like, oh, man. So you pull into your, your driveway, you get out, and you're like, I know who I'm going to call. I'm going to call Pastor Joel. Don't do that if your check engine light turns on. And I... You call me up, hey, Pastor Joel, my check engine light came on. You were the first person that I thought of. I'm not even sure why, but I wanted you to come over and take a look at my check engine light. No problem. I'll be right there. So I show up with a hammer in hand. I say, okay, show me the check engine light. You turn on your car. See, there it is. There's the check engine light. I don't know why it's on. No problem. I can take care of the check engine light. And I proceed to take the hammer and beat the check engine light until the check engine light is no longer on. You guys, you're laughing because that's ridiculous. Why? Because we know that the check engine light is just simply an indicator that there's something more serious, a more serious problem going on underneath the hood of the car. Here's my fear in hearing the words of James and hearing a message like this. Here's my fear of what some of us might be thinking right now. Uh, he's right. I need to kind of fix my potty mouth. Yeah, I, I really need to get control over my tongue. Yeah, he's right. I, I need to kind of, you know, really, really get my act together there and stop cussing. Here, here's, if, you're, if what you're hearing right now 
is that if you have a potty mouth or you have a, you're, you're a habitual liar or you're struggling with, uh, with unkind words to people or whatever the case might be, whatever that looks like in your life, that unbridled tongue, as James calls it, if what you're hearing is, I just need to go fix that, you're missing the point. If what you try to do is merely fix your mouth, that is the same thing as me taking a hammer to the check engine light. Your words are an indicator of something more serious going on underneath. So the solution is not taking a proverbial hammer to your potty mouth. The solution is letting God open the hood of your heart and letting him do a deep work in you. Because if, if, if you were able to hone in your, your, your speaking and your communication and you were able to stop with your whatever, your, your cussing, your lying, your, your unkind sarcasm or your, your criticism, like even if you were able to just stop doing that on your own, it would just get added to your, your religion resume. But no real change has taken place underneath. See, transformation of the heart always leads to transformation of the mouth. It'll never be the other way around. The mouth never lies about the condition of your heart. It's an indicator. So what does your mouth indicate about the the condition of your heart? If we want to have control over our tongue, then we need to give God control over our hearts. When, When the gospel gets traction, when we encounter the gospel... The result is guaranteed. We experience transformation. And when we're, where we're going to see transformation is in our words that reflect a changed heart. Number two, when my life is transformed, my actions demonstrate a Christ-like compassion. My actions demonstrate a Christ-like compassion. Look in verse number 27. James writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, orphans and widows during this time were the most vulnerable. Women and children were not able to bring home any income, and so if the man of the house were to pass, then the family, his family, his wife and his children, his widow and his children would have been left destitute, poor, needy. They were the most vulnerable of society. Now, I love this verse because it really shows God's heart. On a very basic level, what we see in this verse is this, that God is not indifferent to your needs. The burdens you carry, the trials you're facing, the needs that you have, God is not indifferent or apathetic towards you in your need. And there is no greater proof of that reality 
than the gospel itself. In Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when Jesus saw us broken, needy, orphan sinners in our affliction, he was not indifferent to us, but he chose to pay the price so that we would be orphans no more, but adopted into his family. And so now in our daily lives, because we've encountered that, that gospel, because we've encountered that grace, because we've encountered that love, we live that in our daily life. We love in that same way. We care in that same way. When we see somebody needy and destitute, we remember our condition before Christ, and we care. We're not indifferent to it. See, God is not indifferent to those who are in need, but let's be honest, sometimes we are. We get busy, we get distracted, but this verse right here is a call to action. This is God calling on his church to be his hands and his feet, to go to visit. That word visit, you could take that one of two ways. You could think of it as going to visit a museum where you go and just look at things. Well, that was nice. And then you go, go home or think of it as a doctor going to visit a sick patient. The doctor doesn't go just to look. The doctor goes with the express purpose of aiding, ministering, caring, nurturing, loving, serving the sick one, serving the one who is in need. And that is what God is calling on us to do, to check up on, to go after those who are in need with the intention of relieving a burden. One author called this mobile hospitality. I love that. It's love on the move. We do not just sit idle and watch the hurting world around us. Why? Because God did not just sit idle when the world was suffering in their sin. So it's love on the move, and guess what we're moving? We're moving right into their affliction. That's what the verse says. Visit them in their affliction. Go to them. Pursue them. James is driving home a point here. A point that those who have experienced this kind of love should exhibit this kind of love. Currently, 18.5% of Tempe residents are living in poverty which means over 34,000 of our neighbors are lacking basic necessities like food, clothing, laundry, and in some cases, shelter. In fact, in 2016, there were 80 individuals in Tempe who found themselves without a home, but that number has grown to 400, making it a 320% increase. In addition to all of that, right now, 26% of ASU students right here in our city live with food insecurity. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. And do you want to know what those 34,000 people need to know? 
and those 400 homeless people need to know, and that 26% of ASU students need to know, do you want to know what they need to know? They need to know that love is on the move. That City Point Church is not indifferent to their need. That we are not apathetic towards them in their affliction, but we care and we are coming. And so that's why I'm excited to announce that we believe that God is leading our church to respond to this need, to visit the afflicted in our community by launching the City Hope Center right here on our campus. When we moved on to this campus, the heart of our pastor team was that we would leverage this campus and the, the, the property that we have here to love and serve our community well. That every day of the week, there would be gospel ministry taking place. That we would use it to serve and to love others. That we wouldn't just hoard it and hunker down till Jesus comes, but that we would get out there and serve people and love people with the resources that God has blessed us with. So this City Hope Center is our attempt of obeying God when he calls his church to go and visit the afflicted. Now, I want to share with you a little bit about the vision and how this center will operate. So I want to give you three, the three pillars that will provide the framework for the City Hope Center. Number one, the first pillar is this, relief. Relief. The center will be arranged like a traditional store, allowing guests to shop for food, allowing them to shop for hygiene products, and allowing them to shop for clothing at no cost to them. A one-stop shop for the needy of our city. And what's been incredible is seeing how God has already begun to provide for us to be able to do this. The Walmart right across the street from us just a couple weeks ago donated seven pallets of brand new clothes that we could use to go and serve people with. Isn't that awesome? We will continue to offer the services that we've been offering to our homeless ministry, but now we'll, we'll branch it out and we'll encourage those families from the, the, the Tempe Elementary Schools to take advantage of our services like our laundry service and free haircuts we plan to partner with other community organizations. We already have one community partner, New Life Pregnancy Center, right here on our campus. They focus on providing resources and support to birth moms so that those moms can care for their babies well and so that those moms have a support group in their time of need. But we hope to partner with other businesses and organizations so that we can help to see some of these homeless friends, our homeless neighbors come off the street or to see a single dad maybe get a better job or to help that single mom who's working three jobs to get the support that she needs. We want to provide relief because that's what visiting the orphans and widows, visiting the vulnerable is all about. It's not just being aware of the affliction, but it's doing something about it. We want to provide relief, but second, the second pillar is this, relationship. In case you didn't know this, at City Point Church, we love people.
And if there's one thing that I want this community to be convinced of, it's that. That they are loved. And so as people come into this center, we're not looking to just give them groceries and send them on their way. Here's your box. Have a great week. God bless. No, we want to see a relationship begin to form with them. We want to bring them into our community. We want them to experience the love of this community. We want to see relationships extend beyond just their time with us in the City Hope Center. Relationships are crucial. The third pillar is this, redemption. Redemption. You see, we believe that the greatest need that each person has is the need for a Savior. And so our prayer is that while we serve and love people well, that we will have the opportunity to tell them, to tell them of a Father who sees them in their need and cares. Not just their physical needs, yes, he sees that and he cares, but their spiritual need, their need for salvation, their need for a savior. God saw them in that need and he responded and we want them to know that. We want them to understand the gospel and so yes, the City Hope Center would be a success if we can give families groceries and it'll be a success if we can build some relationships and maybe even see some of these families come to experience a loving community here at City Point. But the ultimate win for us is to see lives transformed because other people encountered the gospel. So, what's next? That's the question. All right, what do we do now? We know we need to respond to the need, but what's my next step? Let me give you three ways that you can be a part. Number one, serve monthly. Serve monthly. Let's not wait until the center is open before we start serving the needy. And the reality is, there has been a team of people on the first Saturday of each month for decades on this campus who have been doing just that. In fact, Lynette Morrow, I'm going to ask you to stand real quick. Stand up over here. Lynette Morrow, for how many years have you been leading the homeless ministry? been involved 29 years in the homeless ministry. And for many of those years, she has been providing oversight and making sure that it is still going. And honestly, I could have a half a dozen or more people in this room stand up. I won't embarrass all of them. I just wanted to embarrass Lynette. But there have been a team of people on the first Saturday of each month right here on our campus that have been serving the homeless of our city. And so on the first Saturday of each month moving forward, we will have what we call City Hope Weekends, where we will continue that ministry to the homeless, we'll continue offering free showers and free haircuts and free laundry service and a free hot breakfast. Let's start there, church family. If you're interested in serving that ministry, you can go to cpconnect.me and you can select the Serve tab and express your interest in serving in the City Hope weekends, but let's not wait until this center is up and running before we start doing what God has called us to do. 
Now's the time to act, not tomorrow. Second thing that you can do to be a part is give generously. As you can imagine, in order to launch this center, it's going to take some funds. We need to raise about $100,000 in order to get the center off the ground. There will be some needs beyond that, but in order to get the, the center to where it needs to be with the renovations that need to take place, we will be converting one whole building on our campus to the center, and then it'll even bleed over into that. It'll really end up being about a building and a half of our campus will be completely dedicated to the City Hope Center. But that's going to require some renovations. It's going to require some new equipment. And so we need to raise $100,000 to see this take off. Now, seven months ago, I shared this vision and this dream, and I began praying with a group of people from our church family about this, this idea of a City Hope Center. And since then, God has already provided $20,000 towards our $100,000 goal. Isn't that awesome? That's so cool. So God is, God is already providing through various different partners. Somebody, there was a business that donated all of the gondola shelving that we would need for the center, and Walmart donating the seven pallets of clothing, and a small group of people raising $20,000. Like, God is on the move, my friends, and I want to invite you into that. Let's give generously. If you want to give, you can do that at cpconnect.me and select the City Hope Fund. Serve monthly, give generously, and third is this, pray fervently. Pray fervently for provision, but more importantly, pray fervently for stories of transformation because that is what this is all about. Let's begin praying now that God would use this ministry to see lives transformed as we serve them and love them. See, we're just a ragtag group of average, ordinary people who have been transformed by the gospel. That's all we are. And we see that transformation, yes, in our words that reflect a changed heart. But my friends, that transformation also produces actions within us that compel us to go and love the needy. Not to see them in their affliction and start to rationalize, well, I guess they shouldn't have gone on drugs. Well, they just need to get a job. Listen, we can't pretend to know everybody's story. We can't pretend to understand every little detail about their life or whether or not they're in the situation they're in because they put themselves in the situation. But that's not ours to understand. Jesus isn't calling his church to understand. He's not calling his church to rationalize. He's calling his church to reach out to the needy and destitute of our community. Because keep in mind, my friend, we were in our great need as sinners because we put ourselves there. And what God did not do is start to rationalize we didn't deserve the gracious, the gracious reaching 
of Almighty God, reaching down to our sinner's heart and transforming us. We didn't deserve that. So if we want to rationalize, let's rationalize that. But my friends, that's not what God did. He loved. He moved. He cared. And because we've been loved that way, we can love that way. When the gospel gets traction, I experience transformation in my words that reflect a changed heart, in my actions that demonstrate a Christ-like compassion. And thirdly, and finally, when my life is transformed, my purity thrives in a sinful world. You tend to have in Christianity people who look at try to emphasize one over the other. We need to love like Jesus. And then you've got the crowd over here that's like, no, we need to be holy. Listen, this isn't a dichotomy. We're called to both. Look at the end of verse number 27. James writes, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Immediately following his call to go and love people, he calls us to keep ourselves, keep our guard up, to keep ourselves unstained from this world's influence. See, James is helping believers understand that pure religion involves loving the needy and caring for the vulnerable, yes, but it also involves personal holiness. Pure religion is both outward-facing and inward-facing. It is both focused on reflecting the love of Jesus and reflecting the holiness of Jesus. And that's a beautiful harmony. So he says, keep yourself unstained from the world. Now, the world can be such an ambiguous term, but really it's just referring to the, the system of thinking within our culture. See, our, our world is fallen. It's depraved. It's sinful, which means that the way that the world naturally thinks and operates is in direct rebellion to God and his authority. So James is calling the church to guard against these sinful ways and thoughts the world tries to pollute us with. To not let the world be the influence of your life. Whenever I get new clothes and I wear them for the first time, my wife knows she has to be very intentional in warning me not to get stains on my new shirt. Every time. Joel, you look very nice. Don't get stains on your new shirt. You want to know what happens just about every time that I wear a new shirt? I get a stain on it. Now, sometimes it's because I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. Sometimes I brush up against a dirty object. And sometimes the Chick-fil-A sauce was just so good I started dumping it all over myself. But most of the time, if I'm being honest, it's just because I was careless. I was just careless. This verse is a call away from careless Christianity. 
It's a call to be actively engaged in protecting your mind from being influenced by the world. It's to be actively engaged in keeping yourself from being stained by the world's influence. So we shouldn't be careless in our selection of entertainment or social media. We shouldn't be careless in selecting which voices or personalities we allow to influence our life. When we are careless about keeping ourselves from being stained, the world begins to deform what God is wanting to transform. When the gospel gets traction, we experience transformation, but the world is in direct opposition to that. The good news for us is this. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, let me read this verse over you. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Okay, there's the gospel. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But what else does the grace do? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So yes, your purity, my purity, our personal holiness can thrive in this broken world because God's grace is on the inside teaching us, training us, transforming us. So our purity can thrive in a sinful world because the gospel is thriving in our hearts. When the gospel gets traction, I experience transformation. And it's, it shows in my words that reflect a changed heart. And it shows in my actions that demonstrate a Christ-like compassion. But my friends, it will also show, it will evidence itself through the holiness of Christ being born out in your life. Well, I ended up buying the perfect push-up. And now you're probably wondering whether or not it worked. <laughs> the guaranteed results, right? Crawl on the edge of your seat. Man, perfect push-up should pay me for this. No, it didn't work. But it's not because there was anything wrong with the device because I didn't give it enough time. It's because I didn't use it. I bought it, I had it, but I didn't give it enough time. And see, that's the thing about transformation. It takes time. Find encouragement here, my friends, that as we, when we receive the gospel, verse 21, we receive the implanted word, our journey as a follower of Jesus begins. But then as we begin to live it out, we choose each day, I'm gonna live the gospel today. We begin to experience transformation and that, listen, that transformation's not done until that day when we stand before the Holy One of God and our sinful humanity is no more and we have glorified bodies. That's when the transformation's complete. But my friends, let's not wait until that day before we start pursuing that transformation. Let's pursue it. Let's let the gospel get traction in our lives so that we can experience the guaranteed result that James talks about, pure religion. It's what God wants to see in our life. It's a transformed life that reflects 
the love and the holiness of Jesus. When the gospel gets traction, I experience transformation. We praise God for that. Well, we want to learn to live because as it says in verse number 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So question number one is this. Have you received the gospel? Have you received the gospel? I know that's a really simple question. But we have to remember that you can't experience the transformation that we talked about today, not on a heart level. You can't experience that transformation on a heart level until you have received the gospel and put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Before you do the word, you have to receive the word. There has to be a moment where you put your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation, not your religion. You can shred your religion resume. It means nothing to God. It means nothing to God. It amounts to nothing. It's worthless. There's no eternal benefit. But my friends, Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. And if you'll receive him, that transformation can begin in your heart today. Number two, where do you need the gospel to continue transforming your life? Follower of Jesus, you've received the gospel. Where do you need that transformative work to continue happening? Do your words tell the story of a redeemed life? Do your actions demonstrate Christ's love and care for the vulnerable? Does your life reflect the holiness of Christ in you? And question number three is this, how will pure religion in your life impact others this week? How will pure religion in your life impact others this week? Maybe it's just simply that you need to stop rationalizing every time you see somebody in need. Scripture tells us that whoever has the world's good and closes up his bowels of compassion towards his brother, how does the love of God dwell in him? In other words, if you have it within your means to love and care for somebody and you do nothing, Where's God's love in that? You might be sitting here and saying, man, I don't really have much to offer. My friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have everything to offer. Peter's words were, I don't have gold or silver, but what I have, I'll give to you. And what did he have? The life transforming power of Jesus. And we have the same thing in the message of the gospel. This week, let's be aware of the needy, both the physical and the spiritual, and let's live on mission and allow our transformed lives, let's allow God to use our transformed lives to produce other lives that are transformed. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the fact that when you saw us in our need, you did not leave us in our brokenness. You didn't leave us in our sin. But you cared. You cared. 
You cared so much that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross, paying the price for not any sins he committed, but for my sins, for our sins, so that we could experience a relationship with you. God, help us to take what we've heard today and to apply it to our lives. God, I pray that if there are any of those in the room today who have never received the gospel, that today would be that day. So that their journey of experiencing a life transformed could begin today. And God, for those of us who are followers of you, would you help us to love the way you've been loved, to reflect your holiness in our personal life. Would your grace grab a hold of our heart and do a transforming work in our lives this week? And we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.